Nancy Pearl has been telling other people what good books are out there for many years as a librarian and then a librarian on public radio with a TV show. She's always talked about other people's books and her nonfiction as well, book lust and more book lust and, and even more book lust, <laughs> book lust for teens. Now she's out with her first novel, George and Lizzie. Hi, Nancy. Hi, Steve. So we're meeting here at the Bryant Corner Cafe in part because every week you have a book club. People come around and they sit and talk about their books and, and you talk about the books that inspire you. Will you suggest people read this book, George and Lizzie? <laughs> well, of course, I hope everybody reads George and Lizzie, but it is a book. Um, I, it, it, it's turned out to be a book that, um, that is just like all the books that I love. I mean, it's really an, an homage to all of my favorite books in a way. I mean, it just has everything that I love in a novel, which is interesting somewhat quirky characters um, a lot of a lot of books um, a lot of poetry there's a lot of some football in it and um, and it's kind of an unconventional um, it's written in an unconventional structure I guess I would say and I think some people will really enjoy all that but I I'm, I know because people read books People, what people look for in their books is so different one from the other, you know, that this is not going to be a book that um, everyone loves as much as I love it. Okay, oftentimes when we did the radio together yeah, and other yeah, times, yeah. you would say, well, if you liked this book, then right. read. Right. So if I like George and Lizzie, then I should read... Um, well, if you like George and Lizzie, then um, I think you should read a novel called Heart, You Bully, You Punk, which I think is the best title ever, um, written by a woman named Leah Hager Cohen. Uh, I, 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 that was, that's just a wonderful book. I think Ann Tyler's middle book, Searching for Caleb, Dinner at the Homesick Restaurant. Um, George and Lizzie, I think, has a lot more humor than um, than some of Ann Tyler's titles, but I, you know I, I certainly was influenced by I, you know I love Ann Tyler's writing and and if I could you know some of her readers would appreciate George and Lizzie that would mean a lot to me too. This is a story about a woman who has a hard time letting happiness into her life. Oh, good way of putting it. She does. How'd she come up? How'd she arise? Okay, so the origin story of George and Lizzie is that um, I had foot surgery, and um, early in the morning one day at Northwest Hospital here about seven years ago, and that night after a day of taking pain meds, I went upstairs to go to bed, and I was lying in bed trying to fall asleep, and all of a sudden, these two characters came into my life, into my head. These two characters came into my head, and I knew their names, George and Lizzie. I knew Lizzie's last name, Boltman. I knew where they met and under what circumstances they met, and that's all I knew about them. But I was fascinated by them, this kind of odd couple who, who have such different views of love and, and, and relationships. 
and I couldn't stop thinking about them for years and years and years. I just would would think about them. I would walk down the street and I would imagine how Lizzie would respond to to this on my day my walk every I walk nearly every morning and I go down um, by the university and so I'm walking by all the sorority and fraternity houses and I and I think well what would Lizzie think of that what would George think of these and for a long time I didn't write anything down it was just all in my head and I would think of a sentence and I would rewrite the sentence and I would you know little by little learn a lot more about them and then finally after several years a number of years everything my head felt like I needed to sort of you know kind of take it out of my head and put it down on paper and so I started just writing these little snapshots of um, events in their lives um, not really chapters but just little events and I would name them just so I would remember what they were how they met um, uh, what you remember and what you forget all those you know just different things and then I realized after a certain point well maybe this is a novel which which was fun for me to realize because I was writing it for myself I was writing the kind of novel that I like to read that gives you enormous leeway also not the same burden as if you were telling yourself I have to write a novel right yes I, I, I think really in some ways that's the only way to write a novel. I mean, what do I know? Uh, you know, it's my only novel. But it, it, to, to kind of force it to come or to think you're writing for someone else, I, I'm just not sure I could, I, I, I don't think I could do that. It would have to be something that pleased me, something that made me feel good. It's hard enough to write. You know, it's hard, it was hard for me to force myself to sit down and you know for two hours and and get stuff onto the computer um yeah hey uh your first novel but not your first fiction right didn't you tell me you, you won a uh, an award for fiction way back in well no well when i was in elementary school Accounts. <laughs> the scholastic scholastic um, magazine i think there used to be a magazine now there's the publishing company used to sponsor the creative writing awards and and i was kind of a regular winner in for poetry and 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 uh, mostly for poetry Oh, not, not not short not, stories. No. I thought you wrote a short story. Well, I did. I wrote. I when I was in my thirties, I wrote a short story called "The Ride to School" that was published in Red Book magazine back when Red Book had a novel in every a condensed novel, every lightly condensed novel. You know, they published really good good writers in that same issue of Red Book that "The Ride to School" was. Um, Bobby Ann Mason had a short story, so that was really, really exciting. That counts. Yeah, and then they said, <clears throat> then the people at Red Book said, oh, we love this short story, send us everything. And so I kept sending, and you know, I would write something. It was not a happy time in my life, and I was, you know, I would write these stories and send it to them, and they would say, oh, it's so well written, but it's too depressing for our readers. So then I finally just gave up and didn't didn't really write for years and years and years and years, decades. Why'd you decide to write this time? I mean, for yourself, I understand, but were you just feeling old? 
No, you know what? <laughs> right. I was, more it was that I was having trouble. You, you know, periodically in a reading life, I think you go through periods where you just can't find enough to read, enough stuff that you really get into. Yeah, I've heard you say that. Yeah, and I think I was in a period of um, sort of desperate for something new to read that satisfied my need for character-driven, well-written books. And I couldn't find enough. And so I think that was partly what George and Lizzie did for me, was give me you know, another world to escape into. I've always used reading for escape. Yeah. We've talked about that. Yeah, yeah. So. Not for healing or therapy? No, 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 definitely not. I mean, I think maybe that might come along with it, but certainly not anything consciously. Say, what would Lizzie think about the sororities, and what would George think about them? Well, you know, George belonged to a fraternity when he was an undergraduate at Oklahoma State University, majoring in uh, pre-med because he wanted to be a dentist. Um, and Lizzie Lizzie's, uh, grew up in Ann Arbor on sorority row, um, and, you know, in the book, she talks a little bit about, you know, her house backed up to the Kappa Gamma, Kappa Kappa Gamma house. And she talked, to, you know, she has her own feelings about a sorority. But, you know, I mean, I didn't belong to a sorority when I was at the University of Michigan. And, and you know, walking by there when I was thinking about George and Lizzie, I often thought, well, what would my life have been like? What would have happened if I had chosen this way of, you know, this thing to do? And Part of that, that, that's one of the things that's so much fun about writing is that you can explore these different decisions that you might have made. Are you in this book? No, you know, no. I, I would say I'm not in this book. I think, I think that I, 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 certainly it is not an autobiographical novel. I mean. Well, Nancy, considering it's about sex and drugs, <laughs> maybe, maybe, you, maybe your readers would actually like that. <laughs> Well, there's, there's, um, um, I, you know, my editor would say occasionally, let yourself go a little bit in this book, you know. Um, Do you think you did? No, I did not. What does that mean? What did she well, mean by I mean, that? I, I think she wanted, you know, Lizzie falls sort of hopelessly in love with, with a, a guy that she meets in a poetry class. And I think um, that that some less prudish authors than I would have, you know, described more than I did. But I, I think I made very good use of the word later. <laughs> <laughs> well, less prudish. Yeah. Doesn't it feel like in this, I know I, when I watch television sometimes and the sex scenes come on, and I'm watching like a, a you know recorded show. Uh-huh. I fast forward it. Yeah. Like I, I I don't need that anymore. Yeah. Right. Is that the way you feel? Yes. Yeah. I, except I don't fast forward it because we don't have cable. But I just close my eyes. <laughs> so what do you mean by less prudish? Because I mean this was a woman who did something incredibly not prudish. She did something. She was like. I don't know how much she, you want me to reveal. Was, well, don't reveal that. But she okay. was like 17, and she made a really stupid decision. And she thought it would be a lark. And it turned out to be something that really, in many ways, scarred her. Yeah, um, yeah. But a I burden think for her. A, a, a huge burden. But it didn't... Um, and that never happened to me. So, 
Um, so you could imagine it. So I could imagine it, and I could imagine what it did, and and how it just really, really affected the way she she thinks about herself. I think because the person who lost in that whole escapade was Lizzie. You know, um, did you like Lizzie? I loved Lizzie. You love, she was a, I, she's a hard person to love. She is a hard person to love. And I think that um, I love Lizzie. I love George. I love everybody in this novel except Lizzie's parents, who were pretty awful parents. And I have to say, they were not my parents. Um, you know, I would Good describe... Lord, I hope not. I, right. Not my parents at all. They were B.F. Skinner's parents. I know. Yeah. Right. Or B.F. Skinner yeah, himself. Yeah. Right. Yes, they're behavioral psychologists and very famous in, in their field. I mean, it was just such fun. So much of this, I feel like I didn't invent anything. You know, I feel like in some alternate world, this all happened. And I'm, I'm just looking at that world. I'm just peeling away layers. And it's all there. Because the three main men in the book are George James, who is Lizzie's best friend, Marla's husband, boyfriend and then husband. And her best friend, too. And her best friend, too. George, James, and Jack. And, and my editor, who was just wonderful, said, George, James, Jack. I mean, how are people going to keep them apart? They all have the same you know, initial sound to their names. And so I thought, oh, that's true. I, I should change one of their names. And I did that, you know, I thought and thought and thought about what James's name could be because he seemed, of the three, not, the, not as central to Lizzie in the same way. So what could James's name be? And I finally thought, well, maybe it could be, I don't know, Kevin or something. And so I did a, I did a global change, you know how you change sure. everything? And, and, the fir- and then I started reading it over, that section where I had first changed it, and I thought, that's not his name. That is ridiculous. His name is James. So how come how come Marla and James in mm-hmm. particular, and George? But let's leave George out of it a minute. Yeah. Marla and James in particular, her best friends from college on. Um, how come they love her even in her darker periods? I think they. I think that they love her because they understand her. They love her. Because, you know, at one point, Jack, her boyfriend, uh, before she meets George, they're talking about a professor who has been very awful to Lizzie. And, and George quotes this. Professor Terrible, I believe. Ter- yeah, right. The <laughs> terror, right. And, and George quotes this poem by um, A.E. Hausman where the, one of the lines is... Um, the the something something of a mind too unhappy to be kind and I think that's Lizzie and I I, I think Lizzie is I mean Lizzie would hate to be compared to you know this Professor Terrell because he is a terror and she hated him but I think Lizzie is too unhappy to be kind but that's not that's not you no no that's not me you, you said you had some dark times yes unhappy times I mean everybody does right Everybody does. Yeah. But they don't all go the direction she went. No. 
You just imagined yourself. I just, I just imagined what, yes, what it would be like for somebody to grow up in that environment and to feel so unworthy of being loved. I think the first person, I mean, luckily for Lizzie, because I think otherwise she would be in a mental hospital. Luckily for Lizzie, she had this wonderful babysitter named Sheila. And Sheila really provided the love that Lizzie, for us, for like five years, but an important five years important from like five, age yeah. two to age seven yeah. or nine. Nine. Three to nine. You know, yeah, three to nine. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, right. Three to nine. <laughs> that Lizzie needed. I mean, otherwise, Lizzie, I, I, I think children who grow up not feeling loved grow up at such a disadvantage. You know, um, Lizzie also had uh, that time she spent with her doing all the domestic things that she didn't really otherwise, uh, I don't even, even imagine. Yeah. And, and making cookies was one of them. Right. And I thought that was a great scene. All this in oh, Halloween costumes. Right. All the things you'd expect from a normal family. Right. Which George had. Which that George That normal had. family. Yes. Um, oh, so I just have to say the two characters... That, so Lisa Scottolini, who writes these wonderful mystery thrillers and who I just adore, um, Lisa Scottolini um, offered to write a blurb for George and Lizzie, and she wrote this wonderful, wonderful blurb. But in the, in the accompanying letter that she sent to me, she said, why can't I meet someone like George? And I think that's, uh, I, you know, I think that's a common reaction. Do you have people like George in your life? Are there Georges in your life? It, well, in what sense, George? <laughs> a loving, forgiving oh, yeah. uh, uh, person who seeks oh, yeah. happiness through even yes. and and confronts tragedy with uh, what was his phrase? Um, an opportunity for growth. Right. Everything is an opportunity for growth. So I have to say, George shares many qualities with my long-suffering, loving husband, who. Um, who and 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 while George is not my husband, he, my husband is not a dentist, and he didn't become a motivational speaker. Um, he could have been one. He, he, no, 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 no. Too introverted, uh. I think. But George has. A, a, they share a philosophy. And that philosophy is. Everything is an opportunity for growth. Do you share that philosophy? Do I share? Yeah. Are you kidding? No. I mean, there's a line in there where Lizzie says, I have never understood anything that you have ever said in our whole time together, George. That's how I felt. And I, I mean, I don't agree with George. At one point, George says there's, there are no tragedies. Yeah. I don't, I don't believe that. Yeah. Either. He was trying to find even the silver lining in a, right. a terrible tragedy. Right. All right, George sits down and makes a list oh, yes. of the difference that he, he and Lizzie, would, and he does right. it alphabetically, but yes. would you read from hamburgers to... Uh, to magazines. To magazines. Ham okay, so this is called The Alphabetical Marriage. Hamburgers. George ordered his burgers medium rare, while Lizzie wouldn't eat anything that looked un- or undercooked. George couldn't falter for this, though, knowing she had many memories of those mostly raw turkeys at the Boltman's Thanksgivings. Itching. George left mosquito bites strictly alone. Lizzie scratched them until they bled, which meant that after a Michigan summer, she had scabs and scars in various stages of healing all over her arms and legs. Jazz. 
George's favorite album of all time was Miles Davis's Shades of Blue. Lizzie only liked music with lyrics. She didn't get jazz at all, and sadly for George, found listening to jazz or classical music boring. So shoot me, she said to George when he expressed amazement at this. Kimchi. George, having been introduced to it by his Korean-American roommate his freshman year at OSU, loved it. There were no Korean restaurants in Stillwater, but Jay's mother always brought some with her when she flew in from Los Angeles. Lizzie tried it once at a fancy restaurant in New York, but disliked it intensely. Too spicy. Listerine. George actively discouraged his patients from using this particular brand of mouthwash. He didn't think it was worth the trouble or was at all necessary to subject oneself to the burning sensation taking a capful would cause. Lizzie loved that sort of painful experience. It felt like an appropriate punishment for everything she'd done wrong. You might as well also add love in here too, George thought gloomily. He still, had, he still held on to the hope, fat chance of it happening though, that someday Lizzie would love him as much as he loved her. That's, that's a remarkable writer's tool for giving the distinction between the two characters. That, that was a wonderful way of seeing them both in, in opposition. I liked it a lot. Thank you. Did you like writing Thank it? Thank you. Was I did that like inspired when you wrote that? It, it, I thought um, it was really fun to go through the alphabet and pick the different things, pick or see the different things that they disagreed on. Now, you know, you said something about it being, a, the structure was a little different. Yes. Right, there's no chapters, it's just right. these different headings and, and the you book moves. And yeah. But um, the narrator's voice yes. is playful, funny. Um, how, did, how did you hear that? Or was, how did you hear that voice? So that was in it from, from the first moment, I think. And it's so clear to me that, that the narrator's voice is my voice. And that's why... The I, author's voice and Nancy Pearl's voice. Yes, yes, right, right. That, um, and that's what's so exciting because I got to read the audio book that's going to be, that's there. Oh, that's great. So, I'll, I'll um, have to go back to that. So there I am in my, as the editor of the audio book said, um, you know, in my Midwestern voice telling the story. But it is me, um, telling that story because it was I, I mean yeah yeah sure it know. was but but I mean if anybody listens to you on the radio and reads this book I I hear you could, your yes, voice yeah, in there yeah and I'm glad that's not always the case with authors right no, of course no uh-uh I think no I mean I think in 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 a lot of ways because it isn't autobiographical as I said but it's it's a very personal book of me telling the story of these two kids yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And, and also, I mean, maybe because also um, we know you as a public figure through your voice. Mm-hmm. And, and your, you know, your right. image, too, on TV, but right. through your voice, first right. of all. Yes. Um, it somehow resonates in an interesting way. Yeah. Yeah. It was a great experience. And do you like the cover? Yeah. Now, let's talk about that. Okay. You told me when, you, when it first came out, you said, I love this cover. I and do. It's, it's, a, it's a series of names like a like a, a, a maybe a, an eighth grader or a senior right. in high school right. would write of, of paired with different boys' names. Right. You know, yes. Leif and Lizzie, Rafe and Lizzie, and then George and Lizzie. 
why do you like this cover? What does this cover say to you? Well, I, I, what this cover says is, is I think that interesting mixture of what the book is, I, what I hope the book is, which is this very kind of unusual combination of very funny. I mean, I think there are very funny parts in that in the book, and also serious. I mean, it's about a relationship, and it's about a relationship that there's every chance in the world that it's not going to work out. And the mental stability of one of the people in that relationship. Right. Yeah, yeah. But boy, I, I mean, I could go on. I, there's so much more. I, I can just, I keep, I still think about them, and I think about some of the minor characters in the book. There's uh -huh. a football player named Maverick who was Lizzie's high school boyfriend in her junior year and I think about what's what what Maverick's life is going to be like at age 50 you know and wouldn't that be fun to write about that and I know what he is I mean he's a he's a sports writer he's a you know going to get into the podcast world and, and wait do, is he the one that came to Seattle or was that a different one yeah you know, he's the one oh a different one come, came to Seattle. A different person who became okay, a sports yeah, announcer. Yeah. Right, right, right. But Maverick's going to work for like the NFL Network or something like that, and I think that would be great. And plus, you know, what I love about football is the characters. I mean, someone said I heard this somewhere. Um, someone said, "Well, I'm in it, i.e., watching football. I'm in it for the soap opera, and that's how I feel. I'm in it for the characters." Uh, have, have you always been that way? Yeah. So where'd you grow up? Detroit. Yeah. So you were a, uh, were, you were not a Lions fan though. I was. I was. But you were a I University of Michigan. University of Michigan fan. I mean, that's when I really became aware of, you know, the game. Really was in college. I mean, that's part of, part of that's autobiography. I mean, part of part of Lizzie's. Uh, oh yeah. I mean, her interest in football. And and and. But my high school didn't even have a football team. I oh, don't at all. think. At all, but I, help me. So you said it's it's the uh, it's the personalities. It's the right. Walk me through that. It's not Macbeth, is it? It's not Shakespeare, is it? Or is it? What uh, you mean? Football. Football. Oh, like a tragedy like that. Oh, I, oh, would you? I, I, it depends on the team. Uh, it's not uh, yeah, right. as the you like it. The Lions, who have not won a playoff game since the fifties, I don't think. Um, I mean, I don't. I don't care even about the score. I mean, I care about just learning about these men who are playing that game. You, learning about them outside their, of the their field. Their backgrounds, what their lives were like, where they went to high school. I mean, just um, imagining what their lives were going to be like. Huh. Um, and I do that for, for every, you know, the two sports that I love are football and basketball. And, um, you know, I think a lot about Steve Kerr, the coach of the Golden State Warriors, and, you know, what, a, what, a, what his childhood was like, what happened when his father was murdered, um, and, and, and how he grew up to be the guy he is. And, I mean, you know, Greg Popovich. I mean, all those, those coaches and who sort of focus on teamwork and team play and not one star and how some players can't 
fit into that system. So is that different than, I mean, you could focus that way on poets' lives or writers' yes. lives, but yeah. you don't, right? Or do you? Um, well, really what I'm most interested in about anybody is 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 them, Is are their lives. I mean, like, Steve, I could do a podcast and interview you about your life, and I, I think that would be fascinating. Well, so you mean anybody, anybody's life. People are characters. People have stories. Right. But 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 why? Football. But yeah. What drew? What drew? It it wasn't the game. It wasn't the scoring of touchdowns. It wasn't the fleet-footed running across the field. No, uh, it wasn't. It was that here's here here are people who, when they were kids, made this decision that this is what they were going to do with their lives, and especially now with football, when it's really so, you know, it's such a. A, a, a dan- not a dangerous game, although we could understand it as a dangerous game. But you, you know, they're really risking life and limb and in a very shortened career. And I hear in that I, you're uh, also it also appeals to you the teamwork, the coming together and working yes, together, which is very yes. much different than what artists do. Or yes, right, right. And I'm also interested in how sports, how the sports industry, particularly football and basketball reflect racial issues in our society and what that all means and all of those things none of which I go into in this book at all and there's no identification of anybody by their race Um, but the but the theme of football and sports and this sort of love relationship with it even for the characters but also like that like the tensions sometimes become too much yes. for, for Lizzie, and she has to, right. at a game, she has to, like, get a right. book out. Yes. Is yes. That, do That's you feel totally that way? totally me. I mean, I, I don't think I've ever watched the last two minutes of a close basketball game. I mean, I just, I do exactly, I gave that to Lizzie. I just, I just feel so bad for the... For the players. For the losing for players? For the losing player. For the guy who doesn't make that, you know, that free throw at the last minute that would have won the game or, you know, who who is called for a foul or who, I don't know. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, it, it's all, I mean, I think my whole life has been about um, really, really finding out about people, learning about people. And for the, my own edit, and for their my own, own pains for, and their own pain for my you know really for my own interest I mean not for any edification or you know I, not yeah. like George not that it improves no. someone's life no no George's are really I mean George's mother especially is probably the character that so many people will you know wish they had had a mother like that or were a mother like that that's what I felt you wish you were a mother um, like that. I wish I were like Elaine a lot. You probably are. <laughs> not that. Not 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 quite. You didn't make Christmas decorations every year out of old wrapping paper. No. Um, let's talk about Jews a little bit. Oh, Jewishness. About Jewishness. Because right. these are all these are all Jewish characters, or almost right. all. Almost all. And uh, some of them are Oklahoma Jewish right. characters. And, right. And uh, you know, a part of the world that, like the rest of America, had Jews come through, Jewish peddlers, as right. their ancestors were. Um, is that just something you wanted to tell the tale of, or was what, what brought that in? I, it, what brought it in, I mean, I spent 
um, 22 years living in Oklahoma, a, a Jew in Oklahoma, in two different cities in Oklahoma. And, um, but, but again, it just seemed that's where George was from. Where else could he be from? He had to be from Oklahoma, and he had to, he, he had to you know, have those grandparents who lived in Stillwater. I mean, he had to be this, it just, it just all seemed so natural. It, it didn't seem like I could make George from Seattle, although I've lived here now longer than I ever lived in Oklahoma. But George isn't from Seattle. He has that kind of niceness. Oh. Um, from, not that, that he wouldn't that, be Is nice that a Southern to, thing or is that a Jewish thing? No, I think it's George. It's I a Jewish thing? It's a George thing. Well, it seems like the whole Gold Rosen family yeah, know, were like right? that. His father, his mother. Yeah, is, yeah. I mean, he had a little acerbic grandmother, uh, grandmother but right. even her acerbity was, you know, it was, it was fairly minor. pleasant. It was minor. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but, you know, George's older brother, um, who ran off to uh, Australia and changed his name to Kale, um, that was... I, that was, um, I, I mean, that was a rebellion against Oklahoma and the kind of niceness and the, that kind of bourgeois life that, yeah. that George's family has. But the opposite of that history is, uh, is uh, Lizzie's yes, family, right? right? Destroyed right. all branches. Right. Destroyed in the Holocaust. Yes. Um, and, and, I mean, that's what was interesting to me about that section where I talk about Lizzie's great-grandfather coming, you know, on both sides of the family, what happened to, to her father's her father's childhood and adolescence and her mother's and how they kind of paralleled each other and found one another. Um, I, I've, at one time, I didn't know if that really fit. I'm, I wanted to write that because I thought it was just fascinating um, what I kind of discovered about them. And that, again, is totally not my That's story. not your background nothing. at all? The pearls didn't come nothing. that way? Nope. Nothing like that at all. Because that's the Cher story, the Cher Siegel story. Is it? Yeah. Yeah. Escaping the pogroms, escaping right. the getting drafted into the Tsar's well, Wars. Well, okay. So I guess, yes. I mean, yes. That, I mean, that happened. But my parents were both born here. Yeah. Um, and that wasn't... I'm sure it all had, all played into whatever happens. I mean, the Jewishness just resonated with me also because of the last three weeks of, of, yeah. of you know, somebody not seeing the difference between Nazism and, right. and anti-Semitism and right. democratic protest. Right. And, uh, you know, yeah. that's just, that there's no, there's no real anti-Semitism in this book, but just that no. notion just was playing around in my head, rattling around in my head that these kind of characters discussed this way not yeah. not a lot. I guess it's there's it's in literature, but there's always like a more. I, I'm always rec recalling more like 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 Jewishness. Like what do I want to say? Like you know, sort of sort of straw men set up and and put out, uh -huh. as opposed to just normal families that, for right. example, Happen. might just might yeah. just have <laughs> celebrate Christmas even right. though they're still Jewish and right. all that stuff. Right, and that, um, yeah. I mean, they were Jewish in the way that they might have brown hair or you know blonde hair or something like that that it wasn't it's not a i never thought of it as a jewish novel or a novel about jewish themes i don't think it's that at all but i do think that if lizzie's parents hadn't hadn't had 
hadn't been Jewish and hadn't had that direct upbringing because they were both born around 1945. And so, you know, the end of, the, of World War II and all the news about the concentration camps was kind of coming to a head. Um, if they hadn't had that experience, they might not have been the people that they were. And Lizzie might have been happier, but then we wouldn't have the book. <laughs> you know, um, when you were talking about seeing the characters years ahead, you got me thinking about John Updike and his Rabbit series yes. of books and the yeah. way he would sort of go off into different characters. So, you know, this came out of your desire to have other books that you would like to read. But I know people are already saying to you, are you going to keep on writing and what will you write? Are you going to let it unfold the way you did this first one? Or do you have a sense of, oh, maybe I will, I, you know, deliberateness. I will revisit these people. Well, I, I, this feels complete to me. The book feels complete to me in a way. I think I could go on writing different sections about George and Lizzie, you know, different trips that they take, different, different um, experiences. I mean, I wonder about them. I, you know, I, I just wonder. It didn't end, the book did not end the way I thought it would end. I mean, I had seen a different result, a different ending to the book, and the closer I got to that ending, the, I, the less eager I was to write anything. And then George and Lizzie said to, I mean, this sounds so hokey. I mean, it's like they said, well, wait a minute, that isn't how it ends. This is how, you know, we'll tell you how it ends, but it's not the way you think. Did you like the poems, Steve? Well, yeah, I did like the poems. I was going to end with the poems. Oh, good. Because, you know, so you write, do you still write poetry? No. But you wrote poetry. I did girlish poetry or do you have more respect for it than, than, <laughs> than the way the, the, than the professor yeah, does the professor. well i gave to lizzie all my favorite lizzie and i shared this the love of the same poets i have to i must say and the that. same vincent millay and, and, and hausman and hausman and philip larkin and dorothy parker all of those um but um oh but but so i can see writing more about lizzie and george but really what i'd be more interested in or what I keep thinking about is what's happening to Marla, you know, mm. when she's 50. What's mm-hmm. happening to Marla's kids? How did they grow up? So they're going to start talking to you. So they're going to start, I hope. These character, characters live for you in a way that I don't think they a lot do. of readers live. They do. They do. And to me, that's sort of the mark of a successful reading experience for me, is that, is that I think about those characters. We know in the brain they say there's this barrier between what is fantasy and what is imagined and what is real and that a lot of people uh, that cro- those cross yes and that's why we have the kind of memories we have right I mean they're for you they're they're imagined but they are real they're totally real yeah they're totally real and I, I I'm just so um, yes yes and so these two poems that the one that opens the book and then the one the epigraph at the beginning and then the poem that ends the book I think I, I think, I, well, I just, I, I have loved the first poem, the, the Bells Are Ringing for Me in Chagall. I, I've just loved that for years, and I have it in one of my notebooks. And then the last poem, Atlas, was a book, was a poem that I just discovered a few years ago. 
Oh, I, really? Yeah, yeah. There is a kind of love called maintenance, which stores the WD-40 and knows when to use it. Yeah, isn't that great? Yeah. And, and just comparing those two poems in those different ways of thinking about what love is, where, you know, where in the first poem where he says, and if something like, if that's the case for you, then I feel sorry for you. You're going to walk the floor until your shoes wear out. I mean, it's so wonderful. All right, Nancy, when you're here next week, you know, bring the book with you and distribute it to all the people in the book club. Well, I hope some read it. <laughs>